story that so many people are familiar with. Okay, We're going to walk through it again. There's a couple truths in the story of Esther that you and I need to remember. Uh, parents, as, we, as this is you know, the last Sunday of the month, we're in here with us. I want you to take these truths and I want you to start giving them to your children. We're going to talk a little bit about this today as we read through chapter 2. This constant interaction you and I need to have with them. There are things going on in their life that you and I need to be prying on, pushing against. And when they're young, it's easy to start building those relationships. When they get a little older, if that foundation is there, it's a lot easier to step into them. If it's not there, we still have to do the right thing. There's just way more conflict getting in. For such a time as this, the story, that phrase is in the book of Esther. It's one of the most memorable pieces of Scripture But for such a time as this starts somewhere. Now, we started this series in November, okay? So I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to glance through a couple slides just to get you all caught up. Number one is simply this. The unexpecting queen. Esther's story will show us God, but it will show us God in hidden action, unannounced movement, covert operation. Like God's name is not mentioned in the entire book. But yet his hand and his fingerprints are all over it. You and I will see that. That's going to be a way that we interact with the Lord, that our life interacts with him on many, many days. We're just getting up and we're just living life. And he is manipulating circumstances, people, things in order to put us in positions that bring his kingdom into those moments. The story of Esther is unique in Scripture that he is not mentioned, but it's not unique in the life you and I are basically living every day. You're going to get up on Monday morning, you're going to go to a job, you're going to pay your bills, you're going to love on some people, and in that you're going to be the kingdom of God. And you may have a flat tire, you may get a pay raise, like there are these things that are going on that God is working in. And he's showing up, and he's loving other people, and he's bringing them the gospel both in action and in deed through our interactions with them. That's the book of Esther. Covert operation, consistent timing. Consistent timing. The Lord is playing on a playing field that has everyone involved, not just me and not just you. So sometimes it feels like his timing is off, and maybe it is off for you, but it's not off for your family, your kids, your spouse, your parents that are watching, your friends that are watching. The Lord is playing with all that in mind, not just our best interest. He's putting all the pieces together. The hand behind the scenes, putting pieces and persons in their needed spots, in their exact moments, and rarely a minute early. Dr. Strong puts it this way, Providence is God's attention concentrated everywhere. Providence, when you read through the founding documents of the nation that we live in, when you read through those founding documents, you see the word providence constantly capitalized. The idea was God's hand moving. And you and I get to rest in that reality. Like that truth, if you and I really believe that our God is in control, that He is putting people and things in their time, in their place, so that they bless me and you when we get there, and we bless them when we get there. If you and I really believe that, then what circumstance hits you today or tomorrow that at least a sliver of it can't be, okay, Lord, I know you're working. Like, if this truth really matters, whatever is handed to us by the hand of a loving Father and a good and holy God, you and I, at least, 
a little bit as we struggle with it can say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? There's a lot of peace that comes from that idea if you and I really believe it. If we really believe that he is working all things together for good, them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. So we're reading in the Old Testament what I've told you repeatedly is God has not changed. Romans 8, 28 says the exact same thing. We started in Esther chapter 1. What did we see there? There's a big old party. And that party is a nasty place. The book of Esther starts... I want you to understand this. The book of Esther starts in a really nasty, worldly place. You say, well, what good does that do me? It does you this good. So if your story started there, maybe you're going to play the role of Esther one day. When you're talking to a friend that their story did start there, you can look at them and say, yeah, but my God is not hindered by where you started. You see, the story of Esther starts in a really bad place, a really hard place, not only for her, but for the kingdom. This is a nasty spot to be in. And yet her story is going to rise up to be queen, dare we even say small s, savior of a people. God is going to use her to save his people. The start of every story, with the exception of two, starts in a worldly mess. What are the two that don't start in a worldly mess? Right? Creation and Jesus' start. Born without earthly father, born without sin, walking right into this worldly mess, though, as he comes into this world as someone that is shunned, somebody that is meaningless, purposeless, right? Son of a carpenter, a nobody. You and I need to understand that this truth will attach you and I to everybody we run into. Their story is messy too. Esther's story was messy. The, the start of this book is messy. The king's life is messy. Vashti's life is messy. Like all these people are dealing with it, and yet they are in the upper tier of what is going on. The degree may change, but the devil and details rarely do. Sinful situations and the sinners that make them, and you and I are a part of that. Esther chapter 1 was a big party, right? I told you all that week we need to understand that a party is a good place to what? It's a good place to show off all your stuff. It's a good pay, place to be real prideful. And that's the story of Esther chapter 1. Ahasuerus wants to show people the kingdom. He wants to show people his riches. He wants to show people his power. And then he steps one step too far. And he wants to take the protection that ought to be for his queen and he wants to expose her to the world to see. And she says no. See, it's a good place to be really, really prideful. It's a good place to make a mess. You young ones that are in high school, getting ready to go to college, you need to be very, very careful in places of pride and where there's a bunch of merry people, merry-making people. Be careful. Pay attention to what's going on. Look at your surroundings and what's happening. Remove yourself before things get worse. This party gets out of hand, and everybody is brought into it. The whole kingdom is brought into the chaos that comes out of Esther chapter 1. Where else? No place like a good party to make a bad decision, or several of them. And when you and I make that bad decision, what happens later is, it's no better spot to sow seeds of regret. That's Esther chapter 1. 
You see, even the king is going to sow seeds of regret. Even the one person that is supposedly in charge of everything that is going on, that everything is there to celebrate, that everything is there to draw glory to him, even that person is going to grieve what happens at the end of that day. Look at Esther chapter 2 with me as we start to read this morning. Verses 1 to 8. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. He felt remorseful. His heart was broken. He had been prided up. That's what me and a buddy always used to laugh at. Like right on the verge of most guys doing something stupid, somebody is behind them prodding that thing and priding them up. That's what we always laughed about because something dumb was getting ready to happen. And if you made it out without being hurt, it was a miracle. Been prided up. What happened? Get all peacocky, right? Get all strutting around. Do something stupid. After the age of 16, it might be in a car, right? We do dumb stuff. But there was always somebody behind priding them up. Getting them revved up. That's what happens here. But what happens when that moment's done? I got prided up once. Driving my nice car. Right? Come out the end of Blue Creek. And there's a very sharp, straight up, right? Hit it with a buddy in the car. Probably a smidge too fast. Realized it when I turned the wheel and nothing turned. So we were in the air long enough to go left, go right. And then hit the ground. And you know when my remorse hit? Immediately. Because I looked at him and said, if I would have broke my car, my dad would kill me. It was that fast. All right, thank you, Lord. Everything's still running. All right, let's go home. Being prided up. Dealing with remorse. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's not a big deal. If I would have blown a tire, destroyed my car, wrecked into something, guess what? It would have been a huge deal. The king, the person that is in charge of all of this, is dealing with remorse. Do not think you're going to dodge it because you are the person there that is to be celebrated. You are the person there that's pulling all the strings. Do not think for one second you cannot make a decision bad enough to be remorseful. The king broke the kingdom. And one day, with one request, something that he should have been protective over and loving over, he wanted to expose it for everyone else to see. And because of that, he made an absolute mess. Look at verse 2. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins uh, to the harem of Susa the citadel under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given to them, and let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. In the midst of his grief, they come up with a plan. Look at verses 5 to 8. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of uh, Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with uh, uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. Verse 7. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Verse 8. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in the custody of Haggai, uh, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. 
tragedy to triumphs. What are we reading in the story? This is what I want you to understand. Tragedy into triumphs. God works in the circumstances you and I find ourselves in. Guts and gore to glory. Real life, real work of God, real change in character, real change in kingdom, real change in your family, real change in this church. And it doesn't come outside of your circumstances. It comes in them. You know, we have... I had a lot of people talk about foster care and, and, and those things that are going on right now and attaching with these families and loving these kids and, and trying to dive into this mission field. And listen, this is going to become ever-increasing. We have to know the story. Who does God work in? What can He do? If you and I want to step in the world and we want to love and honor real people, we need to understand this. It's not all easy. It's not easy before salvation, and it doesn't get easy after salvation. The Lord works in the mess. Hadassah has missed a lot in life. She's a slave in a kingdom. She's a Jew in a kingdom that's not hers. She's an orphan raised by someone else. No mother, no father. They've been taken in some weird way, either killed and murdered or taken by disease or, or just killed early, taken home early. However you want to... State it, they're not there. And she's been left to deal with this. This is the life that she has been handed. But she has three things, friend, and I want you to understand. You have three things, at least three things. She has a godly father figure in Mordecai. Say, man, I'm, I'm looking for somebody. I am seeking the counsel of someone. Then attach yourself to someone. Some of you young ones in here, you have access to more than one godly father if you would just reach out. If you would humble yourself and reach out to some men that you trust, you would have more, not just one godly father, not just one good dad. You would have more than one if you reached out. Need a little help. Need some help making these decisions. I need some help doing this thing. I'd like to learn how to do this. Can you help me? I would like to navigate getting ready to be married, getting ready to go into a career, getting ready to go to college. Can you help me? The Bible says in abundance of counselors, there's wisdom, there's safety, and there's peace. Some of you all here today, you have access to more than one person that wants to love you like that. She has at least one. In a world where she's, everything's been taken from her, she has at least one godly influence. Anyone attached to this church would have one or more than one. What does she also have? Well, the Bible says that she's beautiful. So she has a gift. She has a gift. You have a gift too. There's something within you that nobody else can do. There's something in you that needs to be useful for the kingdom of God. And God is going to take that. It could be influence. It could be the way you talk to people. It could be memory. It could be the way you work. It could be something. She has something to work with, and so do you. Now, as we grow and we mature, that, that process plays out, and we figure out, what am I good at? What, am I, what do I like doing? A lot of times we look at that in the case of, of what kind of career, what am I going to do to pay my bills. I would say today some of us need to understand that is the calling God has put on your life to do something amazing. He has gifted you in some area. Maybe you know how to work with people. Maybe you know how to work with kids. Right? For her, she has at least one gift. She has others, but right now we know that she has one. And finally, what does she have? She has an opportunity to make a difference. As long as there is breath in your lungs and a heartbeat beating, 
you have an opportunity to make a difference. A phone call, a text message, showing up at someone's door, lifting a burden that other people need help with, seeing a need and filling it, grabbing it, helping it. Listen, friends, you've got a purpose. And it's a purpose for good, Ephesians 2.10. Good works. God has put you and I here for good works. I was thinking about this this morning, this idea of beauty. You know, some beauty is striking. You see it, and it's just you're in awe. Think about some of the pictures you've seen out west, some of the mountains, some of the mountain ranges, whatever. Right? First time you saw your spouse. Right? It's striking. But some beauty, some beauty lays siege. See, what's that? Well, that's a war term where a city is surrounded and supplies are cut off and anything that was going to make it easier for that city to survive has now been gone. Some beauty is striking and some beauty lays siege. It surrounds and it blocks everything pushing against it and it just goes away. The town is done. Some people are beautiful when they lay siege to you with their character, with who they are. You ever been around somebody It's like, not real striking to start with, but before you knew it, that person was the most beautiful person you'd ever seen. What happened? They laid siege to your heart. Their character, their disposition, their love, their care had changed them in your eyes and made them beautiful. You and I have access to that kind of beauty. I don't care what you think about your looks, who you are, whatever. don't care anything about that. You and I have access to that kind of beauty and you look around like in your church or in your family and you see people like that already that's why you adore your grandparents that's why you adore godly people that have lived it forever and you look and you're drawn to their character that's the kind of beauty i'm talking about all of us have access to that it's an amazing thing to know that the god of the universe has bestowed upon you something to be useful not only to yourself, not only to get you by, but to help those around you. Like those before her, her life is real, it's hard, it's tragic, and God help her, it is seen. He has seen the mess. He has seen the chaos, not only of her, but the nation of Israel. He, know what they, he knows what they've gone through, he knows what they're going to go through, and he's going to use her to solve it. That's the birthright you have, Christian, that's the birthright that I have. To be used by God to be a blessing. Esther's details have not escaped the God of the universe. As a matter of fact, his hand has led them. You see, the hand of God works in our circumstances. That's why he doesn't pull you and I out of them as soon as we experience any discomfort. It's why good dads let their kids struggle with some things instead of fixing every problem for them. What happens when you and I fix every problem for someone else before it's run its course, before it's changed their character, before it's made them a little tougher, a little wiser? What we end up with is a mess. And God doesn't operate like that. He is a good father. So when you and I are walking through things that we cannot avoid, when there's not been sin present, that we are being uh, disciplined or corrected for something, when we are navigating this world as it is, God is paying attention to those details. He looks at the enemy and says, this far and no further. You can't push any harder than this. You can't do this and you can't do that. Now watch them mature. Watch the discipline take hold. Watch their character look more like Jesus's. Watch the Holy Spirit bear fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, 
faithfulness and self-control. Watch it bear fruit. Keep reading with me. Verse 9. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. Who? Hey, guys. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Verse 10, Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. In verses 2 to 9, what do you and I find? She finds favor friends the fruit of God when it bears on our life it God will you will find favor you'll find favor with other people they'll love you they'll trust you they'll want to be close to you they will love all the godly things until you and I push against something personal in their life they will love you and want to be close to that why because you are safe you are kind right you are a person of, of discipline, of care for others. You are a person that exhibits biblical Holy Spirit fruit. And in a world where there's very little safety, you and I become safety. And what happens is we find favor. You the best worker at your job? I hope so. At a bare minimum, I hope somebody can think that about me and you, about the places we work. Why? Because it honors God. And guess what happens when you work in a place where you are considered a good worker? Man, somebody's sick. i got to go. What's the boss do? Man, I'm sick today. I'm going to make it into work. Ain't a big deal. You don't call in sick. You don't manipulate like that. You don't lie like that. I trust you. Okay, feel better. Come back. Do you need anything? The position's a favor. And all it is is you and I living out godly things. The other piece is this. God intervenes as well. He intervenes on our behalf, bestows favor on you and I in a world where there should be none. God intervenes. That glory hovering over the life of Esther is God's favor. God's favor. It's a powerful thing to operate in that realm. You and I believe that the God of the universe loves us, cares about our well-being, has shown us favor, has loved you, cared for you, saved you. Brought you in with a group of people, giving you a spouse, right? What's the Bible say about husbands, right? He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I love that passage when I'm doing weddings. Because what's the idea? The idea is every time I think about my wife, I am to remember that God loves me. He has given me favor. Through the Holy Spirit's sweet promised fruit and God's divine moments of impact he shows you and I favor she is sweet she is tender she is kind and in all of that she is shown favor she's also shrewd we're going to see that in just a minute in the midst of foreign separation and indoctrination Mordecai is checking on her daily I actually have a prop today I never have a prop where's my coffee oh yeah I have a prop today. I heard somebody already, uh, uh, yep. Yep, we're already gagging. Mordecai is checking in, her, in on her constantly in the face of indoctrination, in the face of separation, separated from her people, from her safety, from her knowledge, from her history. And who checks in on her every day? The godly figure. Let me show you how this, how this played out in my life, right? 
I am borderline Cowboys fan. I have been a Cowboys fan since like 19, in the year of our Lord, 19 and 90. Right? I have been a Cowboys fan. Now, in the last 10 years, in the last 10 years, I have not been as boisterous or as involved in my favorite team as I should have been. It is what it is. So guess what happened in my house? I have a Chiefs fan, a Steelers fan, a Packers fan, and I'm pretty sure Liza just roots against whoever she wants to root against, which is hysterical, right? And we got Leo on board. Now, what would have happened if I had gathered my kids up and drove them to Dallas, Texas a couple years ago before all these other evil teams got their claws in them? Right? If I had made a way to go places and watch Dallas Cowboys football game and I had talked about the players and enjoyed, if I didn't, I can't say that out loud, if, if I wasn't so frustrated with the ownership and I enjoyed the ownership and said, man, they're doing a great job. Let me tell you how mediocrity pays. Here it is. If I had done all those things, how many Cowboys fans would I have in my house right now? Probably all of them. Instead, I loaded up three, drove them to Kansas City, and took them to a Chiefs game this year. $800 later. Yeah, three tickets. Friends, dads, that's the way influence works. When you and I play hands-off, other people play in hands-on. Now, I've told you all this on repeat. Mordecai shows us the wisdom of a godly father. And what does he do every day in a foreign kingdom? Engages with somebody that has seen his beloved. If he can't see her personally because she has been pulled aside, she is going through this, this one-year-long process, she's going through it, she can't be near him, I'm at least going to be close enough to ask, how's she doing? What's going on? she Okay. Dads, we doing that every day? What'd you learn at school today? What are you watching on TikTok? What are you entertained by? Who's your favorite athlete? Who's your favorite this? What are you doing right now? Who's your best friends? Bring them over. Let's have dinner. Are we doing anything like that? Mordecai would say that's not smart. He would say he would risk certain things, being on the front lines, interacting constantly. Why? Because the one that he loves is being influenced by somebody else. And he needs to make sure that it goes so far and no further. You see, Esther's glory is the favor of God. Part of that favor is a godly father figure. Look at verse 12 with me. Now when the turn came... For each young woman to go in to see King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period for their beautifying six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went in to the king, in this way she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Verses 12 to 14. Beautification and then temptation. What's going to happen? 
They're going to make them look nice, going to make them smell nice, and then they're going to walk them into the king's presence, and they're going to be tempting him to choose me. This is the best of what I have to offer. This is the best of who I am. Choose me. You see, we play within the rules of this world, but we don't abide by them. We don't play by them. We play within them. You see, Esther is super shrewd. She knows what's coming. She knows that she's never met the king, maybe have never even seen the king. So how is she going to navigate this next moment? I'll bring him what I like. Or watch what she does. Look at verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Ahabiel, and the uncle, uh, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go to the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Verse 16. And when Esther had taken the king, uh, had taken, was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace into the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and won grace, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the province and gave gifts with royal generosity. What happened? She made him happy. A brokenness that he had poured out had been fixed, had been solved. This idea had worked. He had a new queen. And because of that, the whole kingdom is going to be blessed. You see, when godly people get exalted into certain places, people below them should feel that blessing. Promoted at work, what did you bring to the table? Elected to some office, what do you bring to the table? So many people here that are navigating uh, the business world or the medical profession, and you're in charge, what comes with you? What comes with me? You and I need to be prepared for the spotlight. Because, friends, your moment is going to come. Your moment is going to come. It is going to show up. There's going to be that moment, divinely ordained, that the Lord has put, that you're going to show up, and you're going to be the answer to someone's prayers. You are going to be the answer to the problem they have. They may not even pray to the God you and I pray to. And you are going to show up and show them something. Your moment is going to come. We need to be prepared for it. Esther shows tremendous humility in this and godly shrewdness. Like, I don't know the king. Hey, guy, what do you think I should bring? What does he like? You like music? It's like painting. Like, I don't know what's going on here. We don't even know what she takes in. All we know is she finds favor with the person that is in charge, the eunuch that is in charge, and then with the king himself. She finds favor. She has brought peace to his heart. She has brought peace to the kingdom. That kind of sweet navigation wins favor. It creates opportunities, and it honors the Lord. See, that's the difference between shrewdness and manipulation. When you and I finish the day, we have honored God with everything we have said and done. We've honored him. We've seen the rules as they are. We've navigated with them. In, and at the end of that, there is a blessing. There is peace. And you and I are bestowing it on other people too, not just ourselves. When exalted, the godly bless many. Esther has done that. The king is excited. He is thrilled. He is, man, he's dropping taxes. Can you imagine right now if the 
president or whoever could do it, Congress come out and said, no taxes this year. Man, we are all just thrilled. Just happy with life and happy with everything. We're dropping all the taxes this year. You're welcome. Enjoy. Right? That's what happened here. How big was this moment? It was huge. Finish up one more. Four verses and we're done this morning. Look at verse 19 with me. The background of this story. There is a plurality of people always playing out, but there is one singular mission. What do I mean? Well, from chapter 2, verse 1, all the way down to 18, we're talking about Esther and, and, and Haggai and all these other people. Now, what happens? Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Verse 21. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king, and in the name of Mordecai, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. See, there are a lot of people playing out in this story. Mordecai's there. Mordecai hears of this plot getting ready to take place. These two people that are there, that are interacting, all in the moment that Mordecai hears, Mordecai finds out. It wasn't a year earlier. It wasn't a year later. Like these pieces are lining up by God on purpose. The last verse of chapter 2 is so benign in what it says. It's written in the Chronicles of the Kingdom. What happens a couple of chapters later in this book? Does everybody remember? We're going to jump it. We're going to get there. King has trouble sleeping one night. Bring the chronicles into my kingdom. That'll put me right to sleep. They come in and they start reading. And guess what story they read? About a man named Mordecai saving the king's life. Puts it back on his mind in a moment of honor, in a moment of need. These pieces are playing out. You do not know what you are doing as you interact with the people. That's why the Bible says some sow seed, some plant seed, some water seed, and some harvest seed. But you and I just live in the story, our soul winners for Christ. You do not know what you are doing and how you are interacting with someone when you're loving on them and taking care of them throughout just the daily things that have to get done. Mordecai has a role to play not only as a godly accessory, but a pivotal place in elevating the queen. Right? He tells the queen this, hey, this is going to happen. They find out it happens. Guess what? Ahasuerus now has another ally, a shrewd one too. Like Jonathan, King Saul's son, Mordecai is a kingmaker, a queenmaker. He can watch other people be elevated to positions that he could never attain, and he could do so joyfully. Where did Esther's wisdom come from? It come from this godly man that was there to help and to love on her. Doing the right thing is always the right thing. At times, it's not received properly, but it's always a blessing. As they come this morning to play, here's how I wrap up this sermon this morning. Your story, God's glory. No matter your circumstance, no matter where you start, your hope is to be useful. Your hope is in a glorious and useful future. No matter where you're at, no matter how you got started, we have said this on repeat because it's the one message our culture needs to hear every day. You are here on purpose. If you knew just the, the, the percentage of how unlikely it was for you to be here, 
The idea that the God of the universe put together not only your parents, your grandparents, all the way back into biblical times. They made that happen. The, the potentiality in the DNA that was put in you to make you, like this stuff is not by accident. You knit me together in my mother's womb is what the psalmist says about how God works. So if we were to look at the story of Esther, what would we say today? Number one, you need to get, receive godly counsel. And young ones, listen, you need to seek it. It is an aggressive process to find godly counsel. It's not just going to come your way, especially in the time of constant interaction with social media and something always in front of your face begging to take your time. You're going to have to seek it. Seek out people and find it. Do not neglect to find and to hone your gifting, your talents, and your skills. Don't curse or despise God's blessings. He has given you something. Discover it. Find it. Search for it. Then hone it and make it good. Make it needed. How about this one? Stay pure and prepared for the moment. Wake up every morning and just say, God, put me in the position that brings you the most glory. Make me useful today. Somebody that needs some hope, somebody that needs some love, needs some peace, make me useful in their life. Put me there and use me. If you and I pray that prayer, there will not be a day that goes by that you do not have some impact on somebody. How about this one? Don't neglect your physical body. Its appearance, its preparation, and its presentation will bless you in this world. To care only about the outcome and not the input is foolish. Take care of your physical body. Dress for the part you want to achieve. Dress for the next one that you want to achieve. Like the world sees those things and is drawn to them. Use it. Use it. Take your physical body and make it prepared. Get it ready for whatever's next. Discipline it. Strengthen it. Push it. God will reward that. Take your temple and do something with it. God has given it to you. Push it to its limits. People will see your discipline. They'll see your work. They'll be drawn to you. They'll, be, they'll want to be led by you. See this body for what it is. It's what you got until you go home. Use it and take care of it. And finally, see your spot as ordained. On purpose, planned, and useful. Esther was in that kingdom as a slave girl for a time. She became queen. And even early on, she makes an impact. You and I need to see that as our life too. No matter why you're here, no matter what pain, no matter what you're struggling with, listen, you are here in 2023 for a purpose. You're at that school, you're at that job. Until God changes your location by age or promotion or whatever, you are there for a reason. Walk in knowing it's true and then live it out. Stand with me this morning. If you need something this morning, you want to come pray? You don't know this Lord. You don't know God. You want to know Him. You want to know Jesus and what He has done for us. You come. You want to pray this morning and just lay something down and leave it. Do that.